The postmodern worldview that was birthed in the America of the 1960s has seeded much of the warped thinking that we're seeing in our country today, and this to the current demise of common sense, logic, and objective truth. Consequently, a runaway train, if you will, of subjective thinking about objective reality has led to a growing citizenry of subjective, self-centered, even narcissistic attitudes towards sex and gender issues as well. Things have gone so far off the rails that young children are now given the right to choose whether they want to be boys or girls. Now, this is regardless of their biological makeup. So, what would have been considered child abuse and or mental illness by mental health professionals just a few years ago is now being accepted to the point that young kids are now being physically modified, dare I say even mutilated, to fit what the remnant of rational mental health professionals are still calling delusional. Transgendered kids and the parents who love them is now an issue that requires a sound and sober discussion. And we'll be doing just that today on License to Parent. Well, hello once again, and welcome to License to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy. Shepherds Hill is a year-long Christ-centered therapeutic residential program working with teens in crisis and, by extension, with their families. Our host on License to Parent is the founder and executive director of Shepherds Hill, Trace Embry, and I'm Rich Rosel. And, uh, Trace, it is hard to know really where we're supposed to begin Mm -hmm. With this whole transgender thing, because for the most part, it just seems to be so devoid of any rationale altogether, at least mm-hmm. at the table that you and I are sitting at. Sure. I, I was going to say devoid of common sense, but as you have said so aptly many times before on this program, there can really be no common sense in a society that champions no one position on any particular subject as being any more valid than another, can it? Yeah, that is, unless you're an American Bible-believing Christian, then every position trumps your position, uh, it seems like today. But uh, I don't think you have to be a Bible-believing Christian to sort through the illogic, the delusion, and the incredibly nonsensical idea that an otherwise normal little boy should be able to choose to be a girl if he wants to, or vice versa. Uh, It's all bizarre enough when when one is an independent adult and with with fully uh, developed uh, brain matter and and responsible for one's own actions. But to give a little kid this kind of power to choose something of this magnitude with the the kind of long-term consequences attached to it uh, is... In and of itself, it's an act of insanity, if you ask me. Uh, But today, it's an issue that almost nobody's willing to risk their reputations, their careers, their social status, or even their legal standing to argue against it. Uh, You know, while we Christians were asleep at the wheel, Rich, the, the LGBT movement has, with all the brilliance of the devil, gotten the cultural momentum now on their side. And this is because the people holding the loudest microphones and who have the largest platforms, and I'm mainly talking mainstream media, the entertainment, arts, public education, higher education, the the mental health industry right now, these guys are all shaping the worldview and the moral values of the rest of the lemming-like masses here in America today. And most of them, you know, unlike the little boy in the Emperor's New Clothes story, uh, won't address the obvious because of uh, all the things I've just mentioned. Uh, It would be career suicide to do so. Uh, I, I really don't think any of this would have gotten the traction it has if it wasn't for the initial cultural delusion that snuck in and blindsided us in the 60s, as as you mentioned, and that, of course, being postmodern thought, which made truth and reality a relative and subjective thing. Uh, And and when that happened, common sense and the obvious, they both died. So, So now we've got deluded people who actually think they have a point. 
not the least of which are higher ranking and highly educated and highly esteemed mental health professionals. But this is the logical outworking of postmodern thought. But there's an old saying that fits the scenario perfectly, Rich. There's no fool like the educated fool. And the tragedy is that these educated fools are now infecting our innocent and highly impressionable kids, not to mention the very foundation of civil society. The, the chemist, the guy who invented DDT, got a Nobel Prize for doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's how cr crazy things can get. I mean, we don't have all the information yet. So I'm really glad that we've got uh, people like our guest today who are brave enough to risk it all and basically say the emperor has no clothes. Yeah. What this world needs is a hero. Mm -hmm. And we're just politically incorrect enough to stand for nomination. Of Someone that. has to. <laughs> and we take, we take it on the chin all the time for this. But yeah. you know what? Yeah. That's okay. Well, I've had this same argument with my with my kids before because they say, well, science proves dot, dot, dot. And I've said, you don't have the wisdom of years enough to know how many times science has disproved itself. Pluto used to be a planet. Exactly. Yeah. We are always learning more and we are always having to rethink things in scientific terms. But the one thing we've learned is that God's truth has been forever and is unchanging. Right. And um, we learn more about it as we grow. That's the benefit of, of following Christ. Mm -hmm. Let me introduce our guest, though, today before any more time passes by, because we are hoping that she can give us some great insights into this area of transgenderism in the United States. Uh, she is Dr. Michelle Critella, and she is president of the American College of Pediatricians and a general pediatrician with a special interest in behavioral pediatrics. She has become one of the college's chief researchers, writers, and spokespersons on issues of pediatric mental and sexual health. Now, she's regularly consulted by Breitbart News, Family Research Council, um, One News Now, Relevant Radio, and many other outlets. Her article, Gender Dysphoria in Children and Suppression of Debate, that's a mouthful, was published in the 2016 summer issue of the Journal of American Physicians and Surgeons. Uh, Dr. Critella serves on numerous national medical committees, but after 15 years of group practice in Connecticut and Rhode Island, she did leave her clinical practice to devote more time to family and to the college, and that's something we always applaud. Dr. Critella mm -hmm. and her husband, by the way, have three teenage sons and a 12-year-old daughter. Well, Dr. Michelle, welcome to Licensed to Parent. Oh, thank you. It's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. And, and we'll nominate you as one of those heroes, too. How about <laughs> yeah. that? There you go. Well, oh, that's well. <laughs> well, I'm kind of like Rich. You know, it's hard to know where to begin with this issue because it seems so absolutely absurd to me to think that a little kid could or should have the right to choose for himself whether he or she wants to be a boy or a girl, when generally speaking, anyway, one look down the front of their trousers should settle the issue. I don't think a kid can even get a tattoo without a parent's permission, but we're going to give them this kind of liberty? That's insane. So be, before we get into the meat and potatoes of what we're going to talk about today, uh, I want to first ask you this. Has an individual's gender and an individual's sex always been two separate and distinguishable things? Because this seems to be the sticking point, unless I'm missing something. No, and I'm glad you phrased it that way. That's a great place to start. Um, it, it, the, <laughs> the first thing we need to really do in this argument is get rid of the word gender mm. because it's a tool for social engineering. But what happened was in the 1950s, sexologists like Dr. John Money needed a way to justify the 
sex reassignment surgeries that they wanted to do on adults who thought they were transsexual. Mm-hmm. And these doctors knew, well, you can't change a person's sex with surgery or hormones. They knew that. So, science, so how can we justify getting paid to do these surgeries? Ah, ah, we know. We will say that we are treating their gender, Mm -hmm. and we're going to define gender. We're going to say that they have an internal sexed identity. So from the 1950s forward, this alternate definition of gender snuck into the medical literature. Mm -hmm. And then in the late 60s and and throughout the 70s, um, feminist theorists, and the LGBT theorists added um, other concepts such as, oh, gender is a social sex. It's different from biological sex. So essentially, gender is, is a very nebulous term. So it was made up you know, to, yes, to fit their presupposition. There's no science behind it. In order to anchor people back to reality, there's, there's no such thing as a transgendered person. Mm-hmm. Okay, there are people with a trans who believe that they're not their biological sex. There are adults who believe they're not their biological sex and they call themselves transgender. But that's not who they are. Just like a diabetic person, we as physicians don't define our patients by their disorder. Mm-hmm. If we're good. As a diabetic, I'd like to thank you You for that, by the way. People have, people develop diabetes for a whole host of reasons, and it's a strongly biological disease. Yeah. It can be empirically proved. Right. It can be empirically proven. But transgender, that is not, that's not a disease of the body. It's not a a defect of the DNA. Mm -hmm. Transgender is purely a belief. Gender identity, what we should really be talking about is sexual identity. Your sexual identity, that identity lives in the mind. It it refers to thinking. And our thoughts can either be correct in the sense of they align with physical reality, Mm -hmm. or our thoughts can be incorrect, meaning they don't reflect reality. Um, and when our thoughts do reflect reality, that's, that's a marker of mental health. When our thoughts are contrary to physical reality, that's a marker of mental disorder. Right. If you're going to talk all possibilities, right, let, let's say you're talking about a young child. Well, young children, they could simply be mentally immature. Mm-hmm. It could just be confusion. Or brainwashed. Part. Right, right, because children are highly suggestible. We don't pop out of our mother's wombs with hardwired thoughts and facts, you know, hardwired into our minds about reality. That's Mm -hmm. just utterly ridiculous. Children develop and learn first and foremost from their parents and then from their their environment, their peers, etc. We know this, but, but... you know, but the activists want to have us believe that, oh, no, 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 that's, that's true in every area except for sex and, and gender, and, oh, sex and gender aren't the same thing. This is why we are getting so caught up in these endless and, and, and utterly insane debates. 
we're no longer anchored to reality. And the reality is every single person from conception, from fertilization, every single person is imprinted with a sex, and sex is biological. Mm -hmm. And every single cell of the body, those chromosomes are there to reveal whether you are a a boy or a girl. Well, I have another question I want to ask you about this when we come back from the break. Right, We're talking to Dr. Michelle Cretella. She is president of the American College of Pediatricians, not just your average run-of-the-mill small-time doctor. She has been around for a while. She is also a person with special interest in behavioral pediatrics. She's become one of the college's chief researchers, writers, and spokespersons on the issues of pediatric mental and sexual health. And we'll be back with more conversation with Dr. Michelle right after this. You're listening to Licensed to Parent. In the training of our children, what role should public school play? Documentarian Colin Gunn takes a panoramic exploration of this issue by hopping in a school bus for a field trip all over America in the DVD Indoctrination. Colin conducts a series of candid interviews and discovers how God's recipe for training the next generation is being replaced with a humanistic, man-centered program that fragments the family and undermines the influence of the church and the Great Commission. Christian teachers and principals share how they're attempting to walk the tightrope between teaching what they do not believe and being restricted from their God-given call to be salt and light. Indoctrination, Public Schools and the Decline of Christianity in America. Available in the Licensed to Parent store at LicensedToParent.org. Proceeds support the Shepherds Hill Academy Student Scholarship Fund. Teen Rebellion, Depression, Addiction, Rage, Cutting, and Suicide are destroying our families today. But there is a way out. Shepherds Hill Academy offers a 12-month Christ-centered nonprofit residential program where kids are being transformed with a biblical worldview and often medication-free. Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias is just one of many Christian leaders who understands what's happening at Shepherds Hill Academy. It really is such an honor to come alongside Shepherds Hill Ministries and licensed parents to rescue those who have been seduced along the way. Uh, I cannot gainsay how important this is, and to get behind a ministry like this, one will find the rewards to be extremely powerful in changing society. Get the help you need at Shepherds Hill Academy. Go to helpmytroubledteen.org, helpmytroubledteen.org. This is Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy, and we're talking today about gender issues or transgender issues, however you want to describe it. But our guest is Dr. Michelle Cretella, who basically says that the transgender uh, identifier really is inaccurate all the way from the start. One thing that I've noticed in, in raising five children is that there are multiple ages, uh, especially in the young ages, at which... You know, the little boy, for example, says, girls are gross. I can't stand girls. And then all of a sudden, girls are nice. I like girls. You know, it goes back and forth. And even the types of toys they play with can morph back and forth as as they're young. They're, they're developing. They're exploring their world. 
why would we dare want to trust that as being, okay, here's the decision point. Junior knows what he is Good and point. knows what he wants. Good point. Right. You don't need to be an MD or a PhD to know this is insane. Right. Any parent, grandparent, even siblings know that young children change. <laughs> and, and what the gender, so-called gender experts, do not say is that, Sure, at age three, most kids do know that they are either a boy or a girl. Most kids by age three will correctly identify themselves. However, it's not until age seven that most kids understand that your sex will not change if you put on makeup. Okay, so so children age seven and under, many of them will think, if I dress up like a girl... I, I could become one, and vice versa. If a girl dresses up like a boy, that she could become a boy. They don't understand, because they're, they're cognitively and psychologically immature, they don't understand that sex is permanent and that boys become men, girls become women. So if, if I buy into the train of logic that uh, many in the mental health field have accepted, uh, that we are what we think rather than we are that we, what we are, why right. can't I tell you that I'm a pigeon? Be one. In your case, Trace, we would allow that. <laughs> well, well, I've been called a bird brain before, but, uh, but but let me ask you this, Dr. Michelle. I mean, what scientific evidence is there that empirically proves that gender dysphoria, and I'll get back to the definition of that in a bit, or even the concept of gender itself actually exists at all? There is no evidence that a trait called gender exists in the human body. Thank you. There is no scientific evidence. Are you listening to that, audience? I hope you're hearing that. So there is no, there's good historical evidence of um, gender being a social construct, you know, i.e. made up Mm -hmm. uh, and, and rooted in sex stereotypes. And that's where radical feminists are actually on our side on the transgender issue because they point out many of the things that, that you already have, namely, this is outrageous. You, right. are, you are taking normal little boys who show an interest in, in um, soft fabric and, and colorful, you know, pink, the color pink yeah. and, and diagnosing them with an illness. This is crazy. No. Uh, and there is no feminism uh, if, if, right. if there is no gender binary. Uh, you, you can't have a gender. And, and by the way, I'll ask you, the doctor, uh, is the gender binary a legitimate thing or is it not? Because I I sat in a class uh, at at a major national association of mental health workers uh, and the the spokesman up there, the the person conducting the the seminar, says we're doing away with the gender binary and now we're accepting gender fluidity. And I asked them, I was stupid enough to ask them, uh, who's we and where would you get the authority to do that? And they they, they tripped over their tongue. So... Uh, is there a gender binary? Is that legitimate? And, and if so, how, why so? You know what? Again, what I want to see happen for our side is to insist sex is what's real. Mm-hmm. There is a sexual binary. Prove it, Dr. Cretella. Okay. We can do sure. that. Yeah. <laughs> it is self-evident. Listen, this is a self-evident fact mm-hmm. that the norm, the biological norm for, for humanity is to be conceived either XX female 
X, two X chromosomes makes you female and, or, or an XY chromosome makes you male. But this is a self-evident biological fact. Because Why? Because the human species reproduces through sexual reproduction. Right. The only way you can have sexual reproduction is if there is a binary. Mm-hmm. And that's, a cro- that, that's all of you know, any species that has sexual reproduction. I mean, by definition, there is a sexual binary. But Dr. Critella, there are intersex people. Mm-hmm. All right. But so to, what do we do with to, that? To my, imaginary, to my imaginary opponent. Okay, well, how... Let's think about that. What does intersex mean? Oh, inter means in between. In between what? In between the binary. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Good but point. Dr. Cortella, intersex exists, and it might be in between the binary, so that proves there's more than one sex. Dear opponent, no, think about it. Do people with the intersex, do, does the fact that, let, let's step back, let's talk about diabetes again. Does a person with diabetes have a healthy alternate form of sugar metabolism, or does the person with diabetes have a biological abnormality that threatens their health? Well, obviously a person with diabetes has a biological abnormality that threatens their health. Okay, let's bring it back to intersex. Do people with an intersex makeup have a genetic biological abnormality? Well, yes, they do. Very good. What does that genetic or biological abnormality usually do to their health? It often makes them infertile or less fertile. Is this common? No. Thankfully, no. It is a rare biological disorder. Clearly not an alternate normal sex. So we have a sexual binary. That's the physical reality. And and sadly, we do not have a perfect world. Biological, biological genetic abnormalities do happen. And so for this very rare population of, of people with various abnormalities, you know, a compassionate uh, society, compassionate field of medicine works with them to do whatever is necessary to decrease their suffering and improve mm-hmm. their health. Well, that term that's compassion, that's a little... Transgender <laughs> has absolutely nothing to do with intersex. Right. Well, you, that you, is in the mind. Right. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the word compassion. Uh, you know, there's a carnal compassion and there's a compassion that comes from uh, the foundations of, of re- all reality, and that's God. And I heard someone say one time, you can have so much, you know, compassion upon a human being as to be in high-handed rebellion toward God. And I think that's exactly the bottom line is what's going on here. But when you talk about XX female, XY male, there, there's a push now that because there's an X in the male uh, chromosome, that's their, that's their in for, yeah, you know, we're, every male is partially female, and then they, they kind of build on that one. Is there any, any justification uh, in that area? No, no, this is just utterly ridiculous. It's, it's utterly ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It is so anti-science that, you know, th- there was a day and age in which anyone who would have said that would have been last out of the room. Thank you. And, and, and all of what's being published in the medical journals these days, I mean, I actually picked up a medical journal um, I think it was in August. And the, the article was written by physicians, and it was exhorting hospitals and clinics um, to no longer um, call 
themselves men's health clinics or women's health clinics because this is transphobic and that doctors need to be trained to treat the body parts they are confronted with. Unbelievable. It's it's ridiculous. So so let let me get this right. Um, If you are a cardiologist, which means you specialize in uh, the health of the heart, um, would they say, oh, well, no, 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 I know that you went and spent all these years (laughs) specializing in cardiology, but you need to treat all the body parts. Now, there right. could be an argument for that. It's like, why do I have to go to 28 specialists to get my health, you know, yeah, taken yeah. care of? But, um, you know, the, uh, the the person who specializes in, oh, let me let me dare call it women's health, mm-hmm. you know, that person's not allowed to do that. I, I think I'm going to start going to an OBGYN next week and just right. see what yeah. they say. Sure. And, yeah. And, and, Once um, I get out of my so office. <laughs> the logic, the logic is just... It's off the charts. Everywhere. It's off the it charts. It is off the chart. And to give you a scientific answer to that, okay, so yes, men have, they, because we have a sexual binary and because new human beings are made from the egg of a woman and the sperm of a male, a woman's egg gives, she's, she has to give an X chromosome, whether it's her son or her daughter. Mm-hmm. So yes, every man has one X chromosome. It's the Y chromosome that ultimately makes them a man. There are 6,500 genetic differences between men and women. So even though, yes, the man has one X, there are still 6,500 genetic differences between men and women. And medicine now is becoming very personalized in terms of trying to fine-tune drugs according to people's genetics. And now that we understand, we have this field, we now understand why men and women, I mean, they've got those 65 different genetic differences, men and women respond differently to the same drugs. Not 100%, but often. Because there is a gender binary. There is. There is. But as I said, I, I think that we need to really get away. We should not do them the uh, justice of, of adding to the insanity that they invented but with the word gender. Mm-hmm. You know, in medicine, anyway, if, if, you know, there is a sexual binary, period. There's just, we have sex differences and we have sex stereotypes. Yeah. Well, uh, Dr. Michelle, we, we are out of time. Uh, fortunately, during our break today, we did uh, ask Dr. Michelle we if brokered she would, a deal. We, we brokered a deal <laughs> to have her back with us so we are going to do that. But our thanks today to Dr. Michelle Critella, president of the American College of Pediatricians and a general pediatrician with a special interest in behavioral pediatrics, including the issues we've been talking about today, pediatric mental and sexual health. Bestforchildren.org. And Dr. Michelle, thanks so much for making time for us today on Licensed yes, to Parent. Ma'am. Thanks. God bless Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. And this is Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy. You'll find us online at LicensedToParent.org. Now, we produce this program to share some of the hard lessons that come from working with troubled teens day after day. Our hope is that your family might avoid some of the heartache and avoid the need for a residential program for your teen. As always, though, if you can help our work financially, and we hope that you will, Please do so by clicking on the Donate button at the top of the page at LicensedToParent.org. 
then become one of our ministry partners. Your gift can help the work that we do at Shepherd's Hill and can help less fortunate families who may need residential care but not be able to afford it. A donation in any amount will certainly be a blessing, and unfortunately, that need is great right now. Click the donate button when you visit licensedtoparent.org, and thanks in advance. Our guest coordinator on Licensed to Parent is Daniel Fasina. Our technical producer is Carl Peets. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosal, inviting you to join us again next time to renew your Licensed to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. See you next time.